We are walking through studies like this, taking our time to come together so that we can get it on such a deep level that we are able to walk it out even when we're exhausted, even when we are dry as a bone. So one thing to look at is our rhythms. Psalm 4 is an evening prayer. It's a heart at rest prayer. Answer me when I call to you. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Many are asking who will bring us prosperity. Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep for you, O Lord. You alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. I'm drawing my strength when times are good, but I'm practicing the posture of laying it all out before you. It's a heart at rest because I'm taking what I've collected throughout the day, the good, the bad, the ugly, the unknown, and I am laying it before you because at the end of the day, I'm recognizing it, it was never about what I brought to the table. It was never about my strength. It was never about my abilities. It is solely you and my posture of being tucked into you. And so I lay before you these things that weigh on my mind and my heart. And I remember that in this posture, I am dwelling in safety because you are my fortress. You are my strong tower. You are my strength and my sustenance, my provider, my good father. And then in the morning, the morning prayer, Psalm 5, is full of action, ready to seek change. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray in the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. So these things, it might be the very same things that were on my mind the night before. They're there in the morning. It might be the exact same things, but there's a different posture in it. At night, it's uh, I'm laying it before you. I'm seeking rest in the safety of your fortress. And in the morning, I'm going, okay. It's time. I'm going to put on my armor. What do you have for me today? And here's the thing. This is where the power pose comes in. When I'm laying the things down at night, I am kneeling before my king in the protection of the fortress, in the protection of the strong tower. But I am kneeling down as a warrior. And I'm rising back up in the strength that he fills me with. I'm going to read an article written by Matthew St. John of New Hope Church, and it's about the Proverbs 31 warrior. It is one thing to read in Genesis 2.18 and following that God dignifies the woman with the same warrior description that he only reserves for himself and a couple of militant nations. It is another thing to see this theme play out in still other portraits of womanhood in the Bible. One telling portrait is that of the so-called Proverbs 31 woman. Traditionally, Proverbs 31.10 and following offers a tender picture of the ultimate homemaker, the profile of the domesticated female, the aspirational virtuous goal for every woman. Most women I know loathe the Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> 
But what if the tender view often promoted regarding the woman in Proverbs 31 is something very different than what we are generally led to believe? What if there were something much more revolutionary being presented there? A simple survey of the Old Testament reminds us that there are a small handful of important ballads and poems that bring color to the Old Testament landscape. Examples include Exodus 15, 1 to 21, Judges 5, 2 Samuel 1, 17 to 27, and 2 Samuel 22. Take some time when you can and read through those captivating passages. Pause for any note takers who are like, what were those passages? I'll make sure that this article, there can be a link somewhere so you can access the references. Their design and tone reflects what are commonly understood as military hero poems, accounts celebrating specific heroes or feats. I wish to strongly submit that Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, fits well within the parameters of such a literary device. How, you might ask. The very first verse of the passage gives us a remarkable clue. Common translations speak of an excellent wife or a wife of noble character or a virtuous wife. These are by no means inappropriate translations, and we must keep that in mind. But I do think they tend to be biased translations, defaulting away from bold masculine colors towards more stereotypical female pastel colors. Let me explain. The English word excellent or virtuous is the Hebrew word chayel, spelled C-H-A-Y-I-L. This word used to describe the woman in the passage is a masculine noun. Moreover, of the 243 times it is used in the Old Testament, only five are ever used with regard to a woman. Ruth 3.1, 4.11, Proverbs 12.4, 31.10, and 31.29. The other 238 times it is employed, it refers either to men of valor, valiant armies, or generally men of great nobility. Think knights. When the word is used in those contexts, it is often translated into the English with words about valor, might, strength, and so forth. In its most common form, it evokes notions of military might and a warrior's strength, making it a fitting echo of the Ezer warrior we observe in Genesis 2.18 and 20. Talk about recasting the whole tone of Proverbs 31.10 and following. Now the mild-mannered woman of virtue is presented as a soldier, a warrior, a woman of valor. Think Joan of Arc. In her challenging book, Half the Church, Carolyn Curtis James offers this clearer glimpse of the Proverbs 31 woman. She is valiant, 31.10, like a conqueror gaining plunder. 31.11, a nocturnal predator making the kill. 31.15, a taker of the land. 16, girding her loins with strength, with powerful arms, supporting the community like a king, fearless, astute in business dealings, counseling wisdom, and publicly praised in the city. She provides materially for her household and earns fame for her man. Truly, is a woman to be reckoned with, as are all of God's daughters.
So at night, when we lay all of the burdens that we've collected, because as women, it's not just our own, we're absorbing the worries and concerns and cares for our families, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our extended family, for the stories that we hear about of injustice and harm and trauma and loss. And we've absorbed all of these things during the day. And we practice that posture of at night, I lay it out before you. You are my king. You are my master. I seek strength in you. I seek protection from you. I seek right perspective in you because I know that on my own, I have a tendency to distort and twist and so I am an intentional about on the daily going, God, help me to see things the way you see them. Help me to resist that temptation to send off those 12 texts. I'd really love to let them know what I think about them. <laughs> write my vision, write my heart. Give me a moment of rest because I am going at this breakneck pace and in the morning, I rise back up in full armor. My feet are firmly planted on the rock because that is the only foundation we were ever meant to stand on. My head is lifted high because I have my eyes on the general, the only one that I'm supposed to take directions from, and he will help me cloud or block out the cloud of competing voices, right? So my eyes are fixed on him. My head is high because he says I am worthy. He's the one that I draw my identity from. So I'm not, you know, nobody's got the extra time to pay attention to all those voices and also try to get my identity and worth from all of those people, right? So I'm fixed on him. I'm focused on him. And out of that place, I have the courage and the strength to open up my arms and go, okay, what do you have for me today? And in that, maybe there is the honest answer of I am It's, I've got my full armor on, but my arms are like this, right? It's not always, yeah. Sometimes it's, okay. But the posture is still the same either way. We walk in the honesty and celebrate the times when we're like this. But we don't guilt or shame ourselves for the times that we're like this. Because either way, our feet are firmly planted, my eyes are looking up, and my arms are open. They might only be open like this. God, I'm scared. I'm having a hard time trusting. I don't know if I can take any more. 
We will never say the lie of he doesn't give us more than we can handle because those words are from Satan, right? <laughs> that is only something that's used to put more guilt and weight on our shoulders. It's completely out of context. It was never meant to be used the way it's used, right? It is okay to tell him, God, my plate is full. I don't know if I can take any more. And maybe the arms like this, he's gently going, honey, let me teach you how to say some no's, right? Let's take a look at the calendar. There can be some practicals. It's not all deep level emotional work. Sometimes it's logistics. Let's get you a little more organized. Let's, uh, you know, clear out one day of the week that we're not running around. You don't have to say yes to everyone and everything, right? But sometimes it's the deeper emotional work and he'll meet us there too. But either way, the posture's the same. Because we learn in our trust walk with him that the only way to do it is for our hands to be open, right? And as our hands are open and as we look at our palms, we remember when his hands were open. And that corrects anything that's distorted here because how could we ever question his goodness or his love or his mercy or his ability to redeem or restore or make all things new or his great plans for us when we're looking at his hands, right? And so what we hold on to is enduring hope. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we practice this rhythm, when we practice this posture, it's not our hope that we're handing out to people because my hope ran out years ago, right? It's I'm receiving that hope from him and out of that is the pouring out. And this is what we seek to do as a body of women, that we are linking up one to another. You received hope. You're pouring it to me. I received hope. I'm pouring it to my neighbor. And and we take turns. Sometimes I'm, I'm full and brimming over with hope. Hey, I've got plenty to share. Come on, take some. Absolutely, join together. Sometimes I'm like, my vessel is totally empty and dry, right? And that's okay. We're all in different spots and it's just like that example of the different types of warrior pose. We're all walking in armor but it's gonna be a little bit different with each of us and that's why it's so important to come together and why when Katie was giving that encouragement of keep that community going in whatever form you can handle over the summer because we are so much stronger when we're together than when we're apart, right? And so we continue the practice of anchoring into the truth of who he is, 
the truth of who he says we are, those rhythms that he invites us into, where we draw our strength from, and that great hope that we keep our eyes fixed on. So as we transition into, we're going to do worship, play some music for it. So my encouragement to you would be, make this room your own. Take this time to write. Take this time to go sit in a corner, stay where you are, stand and sing, whatever you need this morning. But talk to God about your rhythms. You know, he incorporated a lot of practices and we're not very good at practices. Like when we look back at when he set things up, there were a lot of rhythms in place. That's not very conducive to our kind of living, right? And so just meditate with him on rhythm. What does rhythm look like for you in this season? Where, where could you... I, I paused because, you know, what I almost said, which is what we do to ourselves all the time, is where could you do a better job? Thank you very much, because I could tell you 35 things that I need to do a better job with. Guilt, pressure. So instead, I think a way to look at it would be, and I'll, I can... I wonder if there's a way to look at these side by side. But do you know if there's a way to do that, to look at the morning and evening side by side? That's true. Hey, what do you know? There's a thing called a Bible. You can look at the actual text. I, it, it's, that, you know, brilliant. And they're next to each other. What do you know about that? Okay. So take this time and just meditate and ask God to speak to you about rhythm. And here's the really great thing about God. He doesn't speak to us in the guilt tone that we're used to hearing from ourselves. He is tender, and his words are an invitation. 